Recorded live from TCR Studios in Melbourne, Florida. This is the Cannabis Report with Michael Patterson. Brought to you by MGMC Pharma. We make a difference. Check out the virtual tour of our cannabis cultivation facility on our website at mgmc-group.com. Now, here's your host. Michael Patterson. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, in from all over the planet. My name is Michael Patterson. And I'm Mark. Hello. Hey. hey. So uh, we are coming to you live from Florida, and we're very excited about having our guest on today, Leslie Engelking, out of Focus, which is a group looking to make standards for the cannabis industry for the United States, which I think will could bleed over to other countries, which is very exciting. She's out of Arizona, about the same weather as us today, right? 60 and sunny. Yeah. Here in uh, Central Florida. Florida. Beautiful Florida. So um, if the first time you're watching our show or listening to us, um, definitely please subscribe on our YouTube channel, which is the Cannabis Report with Michael Patterson. Or the Space Ghost Podcast. And then looking up on, if you're looking for a a Spotify or an Apple Music, go under Space Coast Podcast, and then you will see the Cannabis Report with Michael Patterson. So I'd love to have your input. Um, If you've never seen us before, our goal is to give you a good overview about different places, about uh, different aspects of the cannabis space, cannabis industry, ways to get involved, and uh, meeting other great people who are in this space. So definitely excited to be here. Episode number four we are on. Quattro. Quattro, absolutely. So we're looking to do this and uh, make it bigger and bigger and get more followers to really preach that message. And so one of the things that we will uh, we do put up a lot is a hashtag called Compassionate Army. CA30K. Right. CA30K. I have 30,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. Uh, again, LinkedIn, Michael Patterson, U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical. And the people who follow me and watch this show are part of the Compassionate Army. We're all working to make things better through the use of cannabis around the planet. And so that's our mission, and that's what we're here for. And so now it's time for us to go into some cannabis news. Let's do the news, Jesse. It's time for Cannabis News. News today brought to you by ICS, Integrated Compliance Solutions, and its Merchant Processing Division, Greenlight Payments, are the industry leaders in banking and payment processing solutions for the cannabis industry. Since 2014, ICS has been used by more banks and more cannabis-related businesses for their compliant cannabis banking needs than any other solution provider in the industry, Mike. They are. For more information, go to ICSLV.com. All right, first story Virginia poised to legalize adult use cannabis. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam administration announced adult use marijuana sales would begin January 1st, 2023 under the the current proposal, which looks as if it has a good chance of succeeding in this year's legislature, according to the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Governor Northam said in November he would press for an adult-use marijuana program. Virginia is among the states eyeing legal marijuana as a way to boost tax revenues to offset the economic impacts of COVID. Voter approval of adult-use legalization in New Jersey in November also has put pressure on states in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast regions to act. In fact, New York Governor Cuomo last week renewed his push for recreational marijuana legalization in the state of New York. So, Mike, it looks like the dominoes are falling in the Northeast, even the past the Mason-Dixon line into Virginia. Yeah, let me tell you. So if you're not familiar, if you're listening overseas or watching us, Virginia is a very critical state because it's the beginning of the South. 
And so if you don't know about the southern United States, things move a little bit slower. I'm originally Mark and I, originally from North Carolina. And uh, Virginia, our grandparents and our parents are from there. And a little aside, our grandfather used to sell cannabis legally. He did. South Boston, Virginia at At his drugstore. Patterson Drugstore. South Boston, Virginia. He sold hemp and sold medical cannabis, not hemp back then, until 1937 when it became illegal and he stopped selling yeah but what didn't uh dad tell you that i mean or you told dad that and i then he remembered it right? he remembered and so uh, we found it's out there's one of our distant cousins who actually lives in portsmouth, portsmouth virginia llewellyn smith um we have another llewellyn that you know mark that uh it was a relative that we have but slayton. apparently slayton you yeah, know llewellyn yeah, yeah. slayton so llewellyn smith um, she called me. She is a master's in science of can- of nursing, and she's on the American Cannabis uh, Nurses Association um, board. So wow. that association. Anyway, she called me because of our mutual um, knowledge of cannabis, and she told uh, told me about how our grandfather did that. Uh, we didn't even know that. Wow. And th- we found that out. I found that out two or three years ago, and that's where my personal journey in cannabis has taken me um, to learn that Look I come that. from a, a family a, lineage. A family lineage lineage of of prescribing, well, not prescribing, but offering medical cannabis legally. So, which is extremely unique and actually in Virginia. So, yeah, Virginia is going to play a major role moving forward um, in the East Coast legalization, which is pushing the federal government to do something on this. And Leslie will be talking about that later in the show. Second story, Jay-Z getting into cannabis. He touts into cannabis prohibition as Rock Nation finalized a, a SPAC deal with Caliva Left Coast Ventures. So a consortium made up of CMBG, CMG Partners, Left Coast Ventures, and Jay-Z with his company Rock Nation have finalized its previously announced transaction with Subversive Capital Acquisition Corp. The newly formed company, seems like I've said five different names for the same company, but the newly formed company has been dubbed TPC Holding or another name, the parent company. So the parent company projects to hit $334 million in 2021. Consumer reach is, is expected to be 75% in California by the end of the year and almost 90% by the year 2022. Mike, what did I just talk about? This is the challenge, okay? So Jay-Z's mm-hmm. getting in the business, but remember, he's he's not coming in on a publicly a, a, a big exchange. He's coming in on a smaller exchange. Um, some people uh, call it pink sheets and, and different types of things in the space because no major exchange is going to allow a THC-based product in the United States. That's why all these companies are going into um, Canada primarily to go public. Um, and the SPAC they're talking about is it stands for, I believe, a special purpose acquisition company or corporation or, or entity. Yes. So basically, this is a way these companies can go public and, and subversive and, capital acquisition. There court. you go. So it's it's something that's trending, not just in cannabis, but it's trending in a lot of different businesses. And so you can go you can go public quicker. So just be aware that this industry, this in, entity will primarily getting their sales out of the West Coast. So it's mainly in a in a cannabis recreational market. So, so they're partnering with with current recreational companies Caliva that- yeah Caliva is a very well-known company in California to okay. those cannabis primarily they do medical but remember California for all intents and purposes is more of a medical state uh, excuse me a recreational state and then on the east coast most of our states currently are medical but as you can hear in our it's previous opposite, story right? it, it's it's coming yeah so it's, it's more uh, it's more regulated uh, on the east coast a little less regulated on the west coast so 
what I envision is this is I, I think this is going to be a good deal for the industry um, for that company specifically. I don't know all the details on, on what their profit margins on and who's running the company. As you look into investing in companies, one of the most important things to look at is who is managing that group. Because if you have people who either don't understand cannabis or don't understand general business and never run a company before, the chances of success are very, very low. So you really need to understand the backgrounds of these people who are running these organizations and make sure they understand what they're doing. Well, and you, that goes into the fact that you keep talking about cannabis 2.0. Cannabis right. 1.0 is like everybody was coming in to the market. It's like, oh, I'm going to get rich. It's going to be awesome. Right. I'm going to retire in two weeks. Right. You know, and then they figure out, wow. And then they realize, like, wow, there's a lot more to this than just, just like any other business. Growing weed. And so right. you get the difference between making cannabis in your, in your spare bedroom and doing it on an industrial scale. But even the CEO. They just uh, the, the cannabis 1.0s. We've seen how some of these CEOs grown these companies, and they just you know they didn't really know what to do with them or whatever. They just weren't mental, uh, not mental, but uh, you know f- professionally savvy when it comes to running businesses. In my opinion, right. so they are kind of on the way out. And then you have you know basically big pharma and all these major corporations. Now they're starting to see the light. Or the green tsunami is coming. It is, but but I think what you do see too is you want people who understand the space. For example, you had MedMen who had Adam Beerman as a CEO, and they've they're kind of falling apart because, in, in my opinion, the management was 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 not good because they'd never run a company. I mean, right. that's ever. what I meant. Yeah. So how can you sit there and run a billion dollar company when you've never run any company at all? With more than 10 or 15 people. Right. It's, it's totally different. It would know? be a challenge. Well, like for me, I've run pharmaceutical companies. I've run nursing home chains. We did over $230 million in total sales. I've been sued more times than God, basically, in the nursing home business. Your company uh, has. So not you, Not me, personally. yes. But I understand risk. Okay. I understand compliance. Um, Leslie's going to be talking a lot about compliance a little bit later in the show. Um, with her group focus, but uh, yeah, it's 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 something to work to, to notice about the Jay Z um, uh, business. But you know, let's see how it goes. Put it that way. All right, our last news story: the UFC will no longer punish fighters for using cannabis in most cases, making a major change to its anti-doping policy. The world's largest mixed martial arts promotion confirmed Thursday will no longer worry about positive tests for THC, the psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, unless it believes a fighter used it intentionally to enhance performance. That's going to be a challenge uh, to prove. Uh, UFC will no longer punish marijuana cases. And the bottom line is that in regard to marijuana, we care about when an athlete consumed the day of the fight, not days or weeks before a fight which has often been the case in our historic positive THC cases, the UFC states. USC athletes will still be subject to marijuana rules under various athletic commission regulations, but we hope this is a start to a broader discussion and changes on this issue with that group. The Nevada State Athletic Commission last year reduced its potential suspensions for marijuana use to six months, while California Commission only fines fighters $100. So, Mike, UFC is not testing anymore. Um, the NBA, uh, the, what's the rule on the NBA? The that, NBA recently just, they, they, they did a pass, basically say, due to COVID, we're not going to test this year for cannabis. Right. A lot of people feel that's never going to come back. Um, what you're seeing here, it's bigger than the UFC. It's bigger than NBA. MLB, um, right. MLB has already come out and basically said that, that you can use cannabis. Um, and it, it uh, 
and they're not going to get fined for it. UFC just came out. NFL is saying they're only going to test once per year, and they're going to let everybody know ahead of time when they're testing. So uh, it pretty much you can use they're it there. Testing, and if yeah. you notice, Grunt, when they made that, that's when Gronkowski came back. Because remember, Gronkowski retired, and then right after he retired, he became uh, a spokesman for a CBD company. Yeah. And he specifically said if they ever allow CBD or cannabis in the NFL, he'll come back. And then he came back. So they, they recognize that. And so the bigger thing to recognize, though, is the sociological and the psychological impact to, to us, to our society, on what's going on. We're starting to see cannabis normalized. Prohibition so hangover going it, away. That prohibition hangover is, is basically anybody who can't get past cannabis being legal and, and puts impediments in our way. Um, there's still a lot of people out there who don't want to see us fail, meaning me, you, everybody else, to make this legal, to make things better. Because remember, we're up, uh, upsetting the apple cart. A lot of people make a lot of money for alcohol and pharmaceuticals that aren't cannabis-based, and that's going to change everything. And so that leads right. it up to people like us, and you'll hear about Leslie with Focus coming in uh, about what she's doing to make sure we can have the proper regulation in place to make sure we can move forward in this nation to benefit as many people as possible. And that's it for the news, Mike. All right. This is great. This is great. Let's move into getting uh, uh, Leslie introduced and start talking to Leslie. Okay. Starting with me. I guess that's my turn yes, now. That's isn't it your turn. Okay, yes. we're off to the desert southwest in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, with our guest today. This Arizona State University grad, excuse me, this Arizona State University grad is the ultimate self starter with 20 years experience in cannabis, government relations, pharmaceutical, mental health, and nonprofit. In 2014, she founded the Foundation of Cannabis Unified Standards or FOCUS, an international nonprofit cannabis standards organization dedicated to protecting public health, consumer safety, and safeguarding the environment. It's all about the regulation. Let's give a warm cannabis report. Welcome to Leslie Ingleke. Leslie, Leslie, Woo! welcome to the show. Hello, what up, what up? Beyond. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So excited to be with you for all the way from Arizona. How's the weather there? Is it nice? Amazing. Yeah, we've got 75 and blue skies right now. So this is the time to be in Arizona, not yes. the summer. Right. So, so tell me, on average temperature in August. 110? I mean, I'm guessing it's got to be over 110, yeah. but wow. not exactly sure what the number is. Yeah. Somewhere between 110 and 117. Doesn't matter, really. Between not 110 10. and 117. <laughs> well, that you know, these guys, y'all- in your face Y'all in Arizona, you hibernate in the summer. That's what we do in South Florida. We hibernate in the summer because it's so daggum hot. And then everybody's outside all the time in the winter. So it's totally opposite of what most people would do. Or yeah. we're just like uh, Australia, pretty much. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah to a yep. certain degree. So, Leslie, uh, do me a favor. Give us an, a, a background on how you got into this space initially, because this is going to be fascinating. I mean, reluctantly is is the best one word answer okay. I can come up with. <laughs> okay. That. Right. Uh, I was I had spent my early career in public health and mental health, and then I spent 13 years working for Eli Lilly. Um, when I was leaving Lilly. Arizona had just passed cannabis for medical use and some friends here wanted to apply for a license and they were looking for somebody that had the pharmaceutical experience and the public health background and things and asked me if I, I would be the applicant for the license and at first I said absolutely no way. Um, <laughs> my dad is a defense attorney and oh, my mom's okay. a public servant. So Love I to hear those conversations over Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is back in 2010, 2011. So 
the industry has changed quite a bit, right? right. Um, it's much more mainstream now. But in the end, they wore me down. They provided a bunch of articles and information and studies on the benefits of cannabis. And I decided to give it a shot and see how it went um, on a temporary basis. Like most things that are new in cannabis businesses, the wheels come off right when you get started. Yeah. Um, so I spent two and a half years in that position as executive director as the first chain of vertical licenses in Phoenix, um, running the operations from top to bottom. And we did everything from, you know, cultivating, extracting, infused products to, you know, six retail stores, um, full wholesale and all that. So I spent a lot of time and got to learn firsthand the benefits of this plant and how many amazing things were happening and what a great alternative it was to some of the traditional pharmaceuticals and whatnot. And I, with that information, I felt convinced that I wanted to be involved with this industry, but having been, you know, firsthand experience, business owner, lack of standards and my background with quality and safety just really came to the forefront. I, I just, I saw all of the people I knew and the businesses that I knew struggling to run their businesses efficiently and effectively and mitigate risk and, you know, minimize problems and create safe quality products. And so I started doing some research, kind of looking at other industries and what had happened and realized that in any industry, regardless of what it is, standards come before regulation. And in fact, generally, well, they, well, they should. They should. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, you know, normal industries, if it's food or drug or mm. pharma, you know, it's it's the agencies that are responsible for licensing mm -hmm. the operations that develop good manufacturing practice guidelines and standards that help the operators meet the regulations. But because cannabis in the United States has come up from the state level and not the federal level, we've developed all these rules without any standards to back them or to base them upon, and which is part of the reason we have different rules in every state. Right. Um, and it's part of the reason that we have such a heavy emphasis on testing in this industry, which is obviously a very, very big um, cost center and troublesome. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys talk and, about and this also, stuff on your shows you, all the time. You you sit there and and you mentioned as, as an aside with the lab testing is you know there have been there have been labs that have been uh, getting false results because they need the business, you know. So oh, I saw it. Lab testing yeah. is the norm. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's. And, the, and you think about how the rules and the regs in, in not in, just in Arizona, but across the United States happen, right? There's state governments, they're lobbying, mm -hmm. they're voter initiatives a lot of the time. And so the people with the money for these labs, you know, the lab rules get in there. But the reality, in my opinion, and, and trust me, I, I want to clarify and say I very, very much support third party testing, and it is a critical component of any quality program. Uh, but most businesses do their own in-house testing and they run under a quality management system so that they're preventing all the problems before they get to, to the testing stuff. We tell our clients that are certified that they should know what their test result will be right. before they get it back from the lab. And if they don't and they get something that surprises them, we want to know about it because it's either a problem with their process or a problem with the lab process. And if it's theirs, we need to fix it because that's, that's where products don't well, go well. <laughs> and, and, and to add to that is what I'm seeing is I recommend to, to, to clients too, is that you need to have in-house testing because what happens if you send it to the third-party lab and it's 10% off on your THC? In some, some cases, some states, that's, that's a felony. 
So if you're mislabeling the product and then if you're the CEO, yep. you're going to prison and you have no backup. But if you say, whoa, 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 we did internal testing and this is not right. So you're you're somehow preventing that. And so what I'm hearing you say is based on your your background in, in, in compliance and quality and safety, you come at this where I come at this from from regards of a nursing home chain. When I used to run the nursing home chain, we got sued all the time. And you start learning about <laughs> compliance and risk and you start thinking about mitigation and, and also you start thinking about intent. So if the intent is to get product there and you're not putting in safety and quality, then now your liability goes up dramatically because you had the ability to do something. You did nothing. So yeah. uh, there was a case in uh, California where Exhibit was a he made all the, the rapper made all these uh, vape cartridges and they said he was all natural and, and no pesticides. Well, some smart guy went around and bought all the all the different uh, um uh, cartridges, cartridges and then did a and then took them to a lab and then they were all had contaminants then he, he set up a class action lawsuit against exhibit and it cost them millions of dollars because they were just stupid so yes i agree with you 100 percent. and see yeah. sounds like that's how you kind of moved into focus it is it's i mean it's liability and risk and and good business practices right i mean everything that we do is about putting preventative steps into a cannabis operation so that they know the outcome that should be expected. And if there's any deviation, that they have the proper tools to first identify that deviation, second, find out the root cause of that, and third, fix it so it doesn't happen again. Um, and then everything downstream from that is the products that have been released that might be impacted, just like in any recall, obviously, is another whole whole section to it. But yeah, I mean, the, everything focus is a partnership designed to build the cannabis business into everything they want it to be. Okay. Um, you know, the first the first part is always about meeting standards, but but the idea is to really have a quality management system that's comprehensive, that documents everything you're doing, that you can plan ahead and plan to scale so that you're not making decisions day to day and drinking out of a fire hose, which is what I typically see in this space. Yeah. And, and I, I see that, too. And also the way I, you know, you and I are the same in the fact that if you leave your business and your business falls apart, that's on you. Because you didn't put the systems in place. Tell them, Mike. It is. I hate Why? this stuff. <laughs> like, years ago, I went, I had to go, my, my sister got married in Spain. This is 15 years ago. And I had to go for two weeks. I and the, too, the owner, Mark, was there too. We let him come. Um, and then we sit there and, and the owner goes, well, how is, how is the company going to survive without you for two weeks? And I said, I said, if the company can't survive without me for two weeks, then I haven't done my job. And so that sounds like what you're saying is you need to have the systems in place when you do this, um, because if you don't, it will fail. And all these people who are investing in your company and expecting you know what you know what you're doing, and you don't, then now your personal liability goes up because you brought them into an, an investment where you said you knew what you were doing and you didn't. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> exactly. So with, that's 100 percent it. Right. And with focus, tell me how uh, are you getting any traction for state legislators and federal uh, uh, people in, in Congress to, to talk to them about the, the, the need and the requirement that we're going to need as an industry across the United States in putting those in place. 
For sure. I mean, you have to remember that it was, I left my job, you know, in 2013. So Focus has been at this, even though I still consider us very much a startup in the, you know, truest sense of the word. Um, We've been at this for seven years. So we do definitely, um, we're very fortunate to have great working relationships with regulatory agencies at the state and federal level. Um, We're really excited to, we've been working for the last year and a half on, um, model code for hemp manufacturing um, just because the hemp farm bill did not address the manufacturing side of things so we've been working with the association food and drug post i want to say though focus does not do any lobbying um as a as a rule and our position around that is really that we are we firmly believe in cannabis we truly want to see a safe you know our vision is a a safe legal and sustainable global cannabis industry but our we won't push regulations um we don't advocate our we are simply a health and safety organization we're an independent third party with no financial stake in or funding from the industry so because we don't do a lot of lobbying we don't we don't get into those conversations like some of the big guys do. Fortunately, because what we've developed provides so much value to these regulatory agencies that they come to us. Good. Nice. So uh-huh. you're basically, Leslie, so you're, uh, the focus is a resource, basically. So, you know, I'm a state government. We never really legalized cannabis before. Not really looking towards the lobbyists, you know, and you can be like, you're the resource. You would come in and help guide them through that process and be best I mean, for everyone. Yep. We can do any of that. We can, you know, I mean, the standards themselves can be adopted as regulations, as is if they want to, they can cut and paste. But yeah, I mean, we do a lot of training for regulators, um, helping them with their audit skills, you Mm -hmm. know, knowing what to look at. Um, Recently in the last couple of years, you know, the states have started to finally ask for SOPs and, you know, HACCP plans and things that really are important to quality and safety and of not just the products, but the facility and the employees. Unfortunately, most states that are requesting these don't have a very thorough or effective review process. So as long as you're turning in something that looks like an SOP, it works. And, and, and SOP, and sorry to interrupt, but SOP yeah. is standard operating procedures for those Apologies. who are not. Yeah. I'm, That's okay. Yes, and please interrupt me anytime I do that. But That's yeah, okay. and, and standard operating procedures are like a recipe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So if you're, if you're going to make a cake... It's really important which order you put the ingredients right. in, right? Some things may not go, the icing doesn't go in the batter. Yes. Right. And that's all a standard operating procedure is. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, because the states haven't looked at them, there's a big practice of just, I need SOP templates. Right. They may or may not reflect what I'm doing. And so what you see is cannabis companies spending a lot of money on these templates that don't actually help them get better at what they do. That is the opposite of what focus is about we are truly about providing a way for a cannabis business to take a step back and say i want to control all my risks i want to know everything going on in my operation and i want it to get better and better over time that's what we help them which is a very foreign concept sometimes to people in cannabis i'm always telling people cannabis for sure (laughs) i want you to find all the problems now because if i find them then if somebody else, meaning the state or others, find them, then we have a problem. For example, there was a there was a company in Pittsburgh that had a uh, grower processor license, and they lost their license because apparently they could not find three to four days of video, which is required by the state to show in 24-7, 365, and nobody knew where it went. 
That is a major problem, which cost them a license worth millions of dollars. And so and to, what I'm hearing you say, Leslie, is is compliance is is key. And one of the phrases I always use is you will always pay for compliance and it is always cheaper up front. It's absolutely true. It's also easier up front, right? It's just so, so painless if you plan for it and you do it as part of the business development and and structure build out and stuff. It, It is much more difficult and more costly when you have to do rework and go back and change things that are existing. Um, and I can even say that from personal experience. I mean, we focus got started. We wanted to become accredited internationally, but the accreditation bodies in the U.S. weren't ready for us. Right. So we engaged and they gave us our money back in 2014 and said, sorry, we're, we're not comfortable. It's federally illegal. We're now just finishing up our accreditation as as a cannabis specific certification body. Awesome. That, you know, an international um, ISO certification through ANSI. We couldn't do that back then. And and it's interesting because you're you were so far ahead of the curve that everybody's starting to catch up. And so and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show to show people that, you know, Leslie obviously is not doing this for the money. Okay, because she was she would have stepped there and stepped in the private industry and kept going that going that route. You know, but but what Leslie is doing and what people don't understand is she is helping us create the standardization that we desperately need in this industry. Um, One one final question is. Moving forward in the United States, say we, 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 we can get cannabis legalized at the federal level. What do you see as some of the biggest problems when it comes to, to all these different regulations? Challenges, Mike, not Thank problems. You. Challenges. Challenges to get all this, this uni, to get some regulations on a uniform standard at a federal level. I mean, I don't think getting the standards themselves are difficult, right? Um, we wrote them in 2000. 2013, we've given them to ASTM through a licensing agreement, and we've given them to Standards Jamaica to use in Jamaica under a licensing agreement. Um, the challenge is just big ships turn slowly. I mean, That's it's the point. federal government, and while they are all these different little ships, they're part of this big shift, and that is just a very slow process, um, which is why standards are even more important in cannabis, because if standards can guide the industry into good practices that are standardized and can be the same across the board, the regulations can follow very easily. Um, I think one of the great things that we've seen, I guess it was the end of last year, 2020, but um, is the new CANRA, the Cannabis Regulatory Association, where state regulators are actually having an association to get together and talk about what's going on. Uh, This is something that I have facilitated for states for years through the Association of Food and Drug Officials um, hosting cannabis, you know, discussion sessions with regulators from across the country seven or eight times, you know, every year. And it's it's needed. Like progress comes from from communication and collaboration and understanding what challenges are there and working to find a solution that works for everybody. So I think that's great. We're excited to have that. I if you're trying to get me to talk about when is this going to happen, I didn't notice. Still... I didn't say when. So yeah, we, I know we, that seems ahead. to be what everybody always wants to know, right. and I I do not make any guesses or predictions. I will say we're not even close. And see, for me, I I, I beg to differ. Whoa, I think, whoa, whoa, whoa! Pump the brakes. Whoa. I'm not even close, Leslie. Oh my well, goodness! That's what I'm saying is, I, wow. So, so and the thing okay. is. So, Depends. If you're talking about getting a bill passed 
to decriminalize cannabis. Yeah. That could happen. Yes. Okay. I'm talking about full regulatory oversight oh. and control yes. of cannabis oh. products. So That's Leslie, I'm right there with you. So what I vision, what I what I propose and what we're trying to recommend um, to the new administration is to phase it in, like you say. Let's get decriminalization done. Let's bring in the more. Let's bring in the Safe Act. Let banks get the money in the in the system, and then long the term, more act, the, more no, act. the more act is decriminalization. Okay. And I don't want to do the whole more act. I only want to do decriminalization right now because we're just not ready. Like like what what Leslie's exactly. saying is we're not ready to go full legalization no. because we're going to have all these problems. So another thing I want to want to back up just a little bit on standards and regulatory people. A lot of people say, oh, we don't need any regulations. And that's t- entirely false because a strong regulatory body is what enables the industry to move forward. Right. Because if you have all these people getting sick and you have all these people dying, which they nobody's ever done, but you have contaminants in the cannabis, all these different problems, then the industry can't grow. Right. Exactly. Tell them, Mike. So, 100%. Th- so Leslie's on the same page with me with that. But, Leslie, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Please you, tell Leslie. everybody how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, you can visit our website at focusstandards.org. You can also find us at cannabisstandards.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Leslie. Focuses on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at, at Focus Standards. Um, and we've got contact forms all over our website. So we're here to help. If you are looking for questions to be answered or just want some more information, please reach out. We're here. That's awesome. So everybody, Leslie Engelking from Focus, the foundation of Cannabis Unified Standards. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate it, you guys. All right. See See you later. Okay, Jesse, let's go to the tip of the day. The Cannabis Entrepreneur Tip of the Day. Tip of the Day is sponsored by Hemp Synergistics from intelligent-based hemp-based consumer products and ingredients. Hemp Synergistics is a biotechnology company whose goal is to make a meaningful difference in the hemp industry. For more information, go to hempsynergistics.com. All right. So the entrepreneurial tip is you must plant the seed to have it grow. Right. Think about it. If you're going to get in this business, you're like, hey, man, I know all these people and I'm going to get involved and we're going to make a gazillion dollars in six months. It's just not going to happen. So think about what you're dealing with. We're dealing with a plant. okay? when you have a plant, you have to put a seed in the ground or you do a clone. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, you got to put it in the ground as it doesn't grow right away. So you have to wait and wait. What you, you, sow. you nurture it. You right. give it water. You give it nutrients. You talk love to it. You hug it, whatever. And then four, three, four, five months, depending on your strain, it'll it'll go into harvest, and then you have a business. You have something you're doing. So think about that from the cannabis side is you are going to have to plant thousands of seeds, a lot. And, and not all of them are going to grow. And so a lot of times I use the analogy of a major league baseball player. So if you're a baseball player and you hit three balls out of ten and they, you get a base hit, then you're batting 300, a 300 right. average. That average can get you in the Hall of Fame. So if you take that adage into the cannabis space and say, for, for every 10 meetings that I do, only three will turn into something or even less. And so what I spend a lot of my time is, is, is uh, meeting new people online and, 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 and uh, working through my network to see how we can all be synergistic because I need to understand what's going on in the industry and meet all these new people because so many people are coming in. But an example of this is 
is specifically LinkedIn. So if you look at my page on LinkedIn, I have over 32,000 followers now. Um, when I started five, six, seven years ago, I had zero and I had to work up and I had to go move it up and move it up. And so I knew that if I kept doing that over and over and over, eventually LinkedIn will be able to work for me and I'm not having to do all the work theoretically on LinkedIn. And now 90% of all my referrals come through LinkedIn from all over the world. And if you're in America, almost 70% of LinkedIn members are outside of the United States. So this wow, industry is, is global. Much. Yeah, it's huge. And so there's over 750 million people on LinkedIn and the list keeps growing. And so for cannabis, LinkedIn is the social media network for the cannabis industry. Um, another example I have is the National Football League. So um, years ago, the National Football League said, hey, we're going to look at our cannabis policy. And so I'm thinking, OK, well, I'm a new business. How can I and I know a lot about this and I understand how to help them. How can I get my message out? Can I send them an email that they'll never read? Can I go on their website and say something that I could do this? They'll probably never get in touch with me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to write them a letter like an old-fashioned letter, and I put it on my company letterhead and wrote out how the industry is going to evolve and if you need assistance in doing the logistical aspect. Because imagine if you made cannabis legal for NFL players could use it back at this time, it'd be, it'd be a logistical nightmare. So long story short, I sent the letter to Roger Goodell, the, the commissioner, as well as all their medical team, and this was 2018. Yeah. Around there. And so sent it all in the mail, had it all stamped, you know, everything. I remember you told me all about it. Right. And then guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing Nothing happened. So year goes by, year goes by. And then I go in 2019, I go to the Lake Lake Nona Impact Forum where it's this is in Orlando, Florida. It's kind of like the Davos of the uh, economic aspect, the Davos of, of, of Switzerland. So. Um, so basically, it's a healthcare forum. People come from all over the world. I got to meet uh, Sanjay Gupta at this meeting, which is really cool. Um, and about, and I was the only cannabis guy there. So I'm sitting there, and then one, the last day of the show, there were people up on stage, and one of them happened to be the NFL medical director. So I was like, oh, okay, great. I'm, maybe I can go up and talk to him and and uh, and say something. So afterwards, I go up to him and say, hey, I'm I'm, uh, I'm Michael Patterson with U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical. And you know what he said? Tell me, Mike. He said, I know who you are. Boom. I was like, really? That's a little bit get you some. So I, it, it was. It was like, wow, they actually read it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, let's let's get a meeting set up and let's talk about this. And so uh, we did that and it went nowhere. So then, <laughs> so again, it's planning to see. Well, then this year, if you noticed in the collective bargaining agreement, that the NFL came up and they said that they're going to, uh, you're not going to get penalized for using cannabis, but they're going to test it one time per year. So they gave everybody advance notice and said, just don't, you know, basically it's okay. Well, during this time, what people never saw is we were behind the scenes because I knew them at the NFL now, so I could sit there and show them, I think this would be a better way to go. We wanted them to come out and have a whole policy on how to educate the players, um, how to educate them on using it in a medicinal way, and really take advantage of this. Well, obviously, they didn't. They decided not to do anything with that. But the point is, is that I now have a rapport with the NFL doesn't mean they're going to listen to me, but at least I have that door that's open and then that door will turn into something else down the road. So it's, you're going to have situations where you, you have to count your victories and it's not always going to be a victory where you get a check at the end, because a lot of this is building those relationships over time. Because say, if I'm talking to the NFL, nothing happens, but then somebody gets my name from the CFL, the Canadian football league, which did happen. So we have talked to the Canadian football league and then, and then I've gotten some calls from the NHL 
NFL, people, former players that want to talking about the Players Association. Yeah, so, yeah. so remember, it all has to build over time. You have to plant all these seeds. And so now, I've been in the industry now eight years, and a lot of those seeds I've been planting are all just now starting to come to fruition. Yeah. Um. So it's taken this long, but but. You know, my goals are massive. I want to sort of sit there and change the planet through using cryptocurrency to be able to uh, help the cannabis industry as well as others. We want to be able to set up international trade for cannabis all over the world because this is what needs to happen for everybody else to come into the industry and thrive. And so we have to build that base of support for the industry. But the positive, you know, the thing about this industry, the positive is, is that there's so much opportunity and that like all this stuff has not been done before. And but the negative is, is all this stuff hasn't been done before. So it takes a lot longer. You know, we both, uh, from different industries, it it takes a lot longer in cannabis in order to get stuff done because there's literally no infrastructure. We are the ones that are watching this program right now are the ones that are going to be developing that. Right. And that's what we're trying to reinforce is that you are part of the solution. Right. And and I'll give you another example of planting the seeds. So uh, was it Two years ago, 2019. So uh, around Christmas time, I'm on LinkedIn because I'm always on LinkedIn. Anyway, so there's a lady who uh, was a lawyer and she worked for the Florida State University School of Business as an adjunct professor. And I sent her an instant message or DM on LinkedIn. I said, hey, if you ever need a cannabis expert to talk to your class, let me know and I'd love to do it. And she responded, hey, that's great. Six months go by, didn't hear anything. Out of nowhere, I get a LinkedIn uh, instant message. Hey, I'm ready to do your show. I'm ready for you to do the class. The next month, we had a class in front of all their entrepreneurial students. And then that turned into, hey, that was great. Can you do one for our law school? I'll be like, absolutely, I can do one for Uh, the law school. Okay. Right. So did I get paid for that? No, I did not get paid for that. But remember, if you're going to do this, it's not all about getting the check at the end of the day because you're an entrepreneur. If you want to get a check at the end of the day, then don't be an entrepreneur. Go sit there and go work for somebody and sit there and get a paycheck every day. It's different. So you have to build it up so we're down the road, you can sit there and make a lot more money and be able to create all this stuff. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, you can go work for somebody and learn that business and then you're going to find out on a lot of these different cannabis industries that you're like, you know what, I think I can do that better. I agree with you. You know, and so you go, you get that experience working for a guy and that's what a lot of people have done and then they go, you know what, I have a better idea. I think I can do it this way. Which I agree with, but... What is this? Why but, do you keep doing like but, that? If you're on camera, he, he's putting his hand right near me. Because I'm trying to get you your attention. You want to be close, Mike? Really? We've been close enough. Yes. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is that yes, but once you make that leap into the entrepreneurial journey, even if you have funding... Yeah. It's still a jump, and you just need to understand it's just a different way of doing things, because if you're going to be the boss or the people person running this show... It's totally different because you're going to be sitting there um, and having difficulty and, and everybody, you're going to make all the decisions and all the good and bad is going to fall on your shoulders. It's just something good to know. Well, thank you, Mike, for the tip of the day. And someone who's already a champion in this industry, our Cannabis Champion of the Week. The Cannabis Champion of the Cannabis Champion of the Week, sponsored by the World CBD Awards. If you want to be part of the world's only objective product awards competition, the World CBD Awards Conference and Gala is for you. For more information, go to worldcbdawards.com.
All right. So, That's your key, Mike. Thank you. So today we're talking to a, about a wonderful lady uh, from Tampa, Florida, and her name is Alice O'Leary Randall. And so this is directly from Alice's uh, LinkedIn page. I officially retired as a hospice nurse in September 2012 and returned to an issue that I know well, medical marijuana. My late husband, Robert Randall, is, is the acknowledged founder of the modern American medical marijuana movement. Wow. In 1976, he became the first American to obtain federal supplies of marijuana for medical purposes due to his glaucoma. Oh, is that what they put it in that big yes, tin? Yes, in a big and old they, tin. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He was the yeah. first one ever. Really? Yes. And I heard it was trash cannabis. Anyway, she didn't get into that. For several <laughs> years, he was the only individual receiving such access, as, and he often said he felt like, quote, the only one to make the lifeboat, end quote. Wow. For more than two decades, we worked to remove the prohibitions against marijuana medical use, and we had great success. Robert died in 2001, and for a decade, I took a break from the medical marijuana issue, pursuing my personal interest in hospice and working with Tidewell Hospice for six years. In 2013, I started renovating a property in North Carolina and began to re-engage in the medical cannabis issue. In 2014, those efforts paid off, completing her book, Medical Marijuana in America, Memoir of a Pioneer, which is available on Amazon.com. And Alice is the author of Pain Free with CBD, which was published by Rockridge, R-O-C-K-R-I-D-G-E, Rockridge Press, in December 2019. And if you'd like to learn more about Alice and her story, visit AliceOlearyRandall.com, which is A-L-I-S-O-L-E-A-R-Y-R-A-N-D-A-L-L.com. So I want to thank Alice for everything that she's done for our industry as well as her late husband. And that is the Cannabis Champion of the Week. Wow, that's fantastic. Isn't it uh, amazing? To have somebody in Tampa that was uh, you know, close to home. And I saw a documentary on not him, but one of those other guys that you know, he had to subpoena to, you know, uh, the United States and then he got you know, cannabis from the government and it came in that tin and it was like a, it was like 100 joints. I know. And then he was driving in Fort Lauderdale on this uh uh, documentary and just hanging out smoking a J and then everybody's like oh look at you you're smoking that J whatever he's like this is medicine and everybody started laughing at him but that was like 15 20 years ago yes. you know so it's, it's kind of amazing how you know that was right at the very start the first patient ever in order to get you know medical cannabis by the government and wow look where you are now well and also think about it now is is generations of children have grown up in america and cannabis has never been illegal right so for them it's not a big deal right you know my daughter she's like your your stuff is boring all you do is talk on the phone <laughs> that's what she says all the time now she's in you know she's at college and university now but growing up when i was doing this she didn't really understand it she 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 knew about marijuana but she didn't understand about how everything's moving professional and everything's moving to a, a corporate structure and and it's starting to evolve um across all aspects of society across the world not just here which is really exciting all right that, that's the end of our show and that's the way it is in the world of cannabis today that's right. The power of change is within all of us, and the world changes when we change. Definitely had a great time. Thanks so much for I your I had help. a great time, Mike. I'm yes. glad you asked. Yes. Jesse, did you have a good time today? Jesse yes. had a great time. We don't let him talk much. He mumbled yes. And okay. always we remember. Don't give him a microphone. It's my tagline. Always remember, we are all all, all we, we need. need. Till next time.